Well, that was a playing song. What the heck? <laughs> Happy Culture Cast Day. OMG. I am sitting here with who I will call one of my epic work BFFs in life, the illustrious Rossanne Williams. I don't even know that I need to even give you more than that, other than you are a badass, kick-ass leader <laughs> and friend that I've had just such the fortunate opportunity to work with and learn from, you know, in the last decade. It's been a while, my friend. Welcome. It's been a while. Good to see you. Good to see you too, my friend. Thank you for the invitation and the opportunity to sit and talk about something that you and I are so passionate about and some great stories and learnings that we're going to be able to share um, as we kind of embark upon this conversation together, it's always good to be with you. And I think we mentioned on the phone a couple of weeks ago that even if we don't talk to each other all the time, the minute we pick up the phone, we start just where we left off. So it's great to see you, my friend. Oh my gosh. It's so good to see you. I'm already seeing so many of our people on here or our alum that we've used to work with. And so it's great to see all the hellos on here. Um, we're going to do something different. I think everyone knows who's jumped on before. Typically, I am interviewing my guest, but I think I'm going to say I am a guest as well. And we are going to be, it's going to be like an insight, catching up as old friends and talking about culture and lessons learned from when we were together, you know, at this infamous company, right, Roseanne? Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of how we're going to roll today. Um, and yeah. And I know there's a lot of people already popping into the chat. If you're not already on there, I know some people like to hang back. We'd love to see your face. I mean, I'm seeing some faces in the comments here. Just pop in and say hi. I mean, if you don't have a question or have a comment, just we'd love to see you. And of course, along the way, while I know this is only one way with Rossanne and I talking, um, we'd love to hear some comments as well. So feel free to, to share it freely in the comments, everyone. So that's the scoop. Where do you that's want to go, Roseanne? Oh, let's start. Let me start then. Since I okay. get a chance to interview you a little bit, and we're going to share some stories and talk about um, lessons learned about culture and leadership and friendship and allyship and all the great things that we've had a chance to experience together. So look, why don't you start off today by telling um, the group and, you know, how you found your way to the company that we worked at together, what made you come, what was the important things you were looking for in culture, and how did we even get to know one another, and let's start there, and then we can start the journey together. Oh my gosh, okay, well, I was at a comp uh, another company before I joined the one that where you and I worked together, and I was actually in the very first head of HR role at a company called GameStop. Some people might be familiar with that, with that name. And at the time, it, um, I joined there because they needed a professional HR leader to help integrate these two companies. And so I thought I was there for a while. And quite frankly, it was a random run-in with an infamous leader that we both have worked with um, on the street in New York City, which then led me to a networking visit with the then CHRO um, that I worked for, Kaylin, and everyone thought, God, you were crazy. You are leaving this top Fortune 500 HR role. Why would you leave and go and join this company where you're not in the number one role? And I think for the first time ever in my career, and it's really important, and I share this a lot when I mentor other, other former team members and, and younger people, this was the first time that I feel like I had this calling to the company that you and I used to work for uh, and work with in that my personal values and what it is to inspire and connect people together in a profound way really resonated with the purpose that existed at the company, but even more so, I mean, that's something that you can see from the outside. And I know a lot of people feel that when they talk about this brand, but I think personally, you know, it really surprised me not only after that initial networking conversation with Kaylin, where it was just more about, hey, what are you doing? And I've been here a year, here's what I've been doing. You know, uh, a couple of weeks later, she called me and said, hey, we're going through a lot of change. Um, it would be great to have your perspective here. And what if we found a way to shape a role? And then she goes, would you be willing to meet another leader? And so 
there is another leader that you and I infamously work for as well. I'm just going to say his name because I love him and he's one of my favorite people, Cliff. Um, and I met Cliff and then there began these weird and wild and cool meetings with leaders one-on-one. -on -one. And what was wild about it was I, I met them all for the first time. So that's that. I mean, it, I met Cliff, I met other leaders on the senior leadership team, including you. And I remember feeling like, gosh, I feel like we've all grown up together or we've lived in the same city together. And we had these very similar experiences, whether it was our upbringing and or experiences with prior work situations. That's what's wild. I know it's kind of a long answer to saying not only was I so aligned to the purpose of the company that we work for, as importantly, and probably more importantly, where I fell in love with all of you was, oh my gosh, we actually have these shared personal values. And I think it's unusual um, in life. Sometimes I think, especially earlier in my career, it was really all about, okay, what can I learn? Where can I go and get all those learnings? But then how can I continue to grow and learn and be in a place where those personal values of, um, again, for me, I believe my calling is all around how do you profoundly connect people joyfully and meaningfully to each other, and then define that as actually a calling in what the role that I, you know, that I was asked to do when I joined the company, that's aligned as well as aligned to personally how I felt about all the leaders that I met. And it, it was a hard decision and yet an easy decision um, because I, I'll tell you this too, and I know I'm saying a lot already, very, yeah, very personal choice to leave. It's not like, hey, I'm going to be making a lot more money. I wasn't. There's more like a lateral move. I wasn't getting a bigger title. If not, I was taking a step back if I were someone from the outside looking in. However, I would say that I'm thankful and grateful that I made that decision because when I made that move, all these other things in life personally were also happening. You know, I've always been such a workhorse and this crazy, you know, career minded driven person. I found that when I chose something that was aligned to me personally, that the rest of my life fell into place. And here's what I mean by that really quickly. My brother, as soon as I told him I was, you know, moving to Seattle, he said, well, we're moving to Seattle. And I thought, okay, you <laughs> and your partner are never leaving Southern California at the time I was in Texas. Mm -hmm. And then he said, well, we're actually trying to have a baby, you know, with a another set of friends. And fast forward, um, as soon as I got to this company, they moved a month later and they also found out they were pregnant with twins. And then ultimately they still, <laughs> they still live in the Seattle area, but they are now married and raising two boys who are 11 years old. And so that's part one of instant family. Part two is I met the love of my life, not at the company, but on my way to the company. And uh, Michael was just part of my journey as I was landing at Starbucks. And of course, while I was at Starbucks, we got married. And so um, I, I lived a fuller life, I really believe in making that choice. And so, yeah. I love that. I love that. And I know that, you know, as you entered that transition, there are a couple themes that, you know, I think are core and central to, you know, culture and in, in just general. And, and if I may start with just one of my favorite definitions of culture, which I think is a good framework for some of the, the topics that you just shared is from Franz Boas, who is known as the pioneer of modern anthropology. And he, he defines culture as, um, culture as the community of emotional life. So those feelings, those values, what you just shared so much about that arises from our everyday practices. And so much of what you just said is threaded through that definition because it is a feeling, it's a belief system, it's values, it's where you feel like you belong, that you have a tribe, that there are people that are listening and learning to. And so I think a lot of what you just shared fits in nicely with the work that we've been doing the, the past um, five years at Starbucks. Um, I'll say the word because it was a great journey and an incredibly um, rewarding company with I have huge admiration for. But um, five years ago, it was... Uh, 
you know, rejoining the business and we were working really, really, really hard, similar to when you and I worked together, there was a, there was a lot of change going on. So some similar themes here and everybody seemed to be working so hard, but we weren't getting the results that our effort was showing. And so I made the 1-800 call to um, one of my mentors, one of my guides, one of uh, my best strategic thought partners. Um, her name is Barbara Perry. Um, and she runs uh, a company called Seedling Partners, and she's a cultural anthropologist. And I said, Barbara, can you come help me take a look at this culture? Because what you experienced coming to the company and what I experienced returning to the company didn't seem didn't seem the same. And um, something was wrong. Something was off. People were just trying so hard, and it and it felt more difficult than what it needed to because I worked with some of the most incredible, amazing leaders over my tenure there, um, people that taught me a lot about leadership. Um, but one of the things that, that Barbara and I designed with the organization was how do you build a learning and listening culture, which is what you just shared, as well as when you came the listening and the learning of a new company and new culture and new leaders and critically important to culture is you have to establish the space. You have to protect it. You have to make sure it's a priority. You have to really invest in what does this culture, what's this emotional life that we're sharing with one another, because you know it when you feel it, right? That's right. Like you said When you met people, you instantly knew that there was a connection with your values, but on that journey of trying to create space for culture comes the listening because you're learning and your learning then creates different behaviors. And those different behaviors drive different business results, which I know you can share in the tenure that we worked together and the work that you came to lead for the business. What were some of the results and what were some of the learnings that you had as well? Yeah, well, um, so first of all, I'm going to put a pin in this, but uh, first of all, it's great to see that Barbara is here, who is this amazing culture guru that you've had the chance to work with. I want to get back into that definition of culture, but I will answer your question. I would say um, when you talk about this listening and learning culture, one thing that was super unique about the culture where we worked, and I think it was consistent no matter what year it was or who it is, coming into the organization, it's the word immersion. So I know there's folks on, on the call right here who know that word immersion. And I remember um, when I first joined, Cliff would say, all right, we would sit weekly and we would talk about what I'm observing. And he would continue to say, the, at the moment where you start asking the question, why are you doing, you know, why are we doing things this way? Continue to ask the question, why? Don't judge really get to the core of it and understand how we got here and why we got here. And part of the immersion too was, it was actually pretty well mapped out. So it wasn't just, hey, go and have one-on-ones with people. You know, there was um, all around learning the origin story of the coffee, right? Learning the origin story of the founder, learning the business and what was critically in front of us. And um, I would say that it's not like there was a time frame for immersion, although I had this really lovely 120-day document that mapped out, hey, here are all the things that you're going to do when you join. I think um, it's kind of a rite of passage when you know that it's time to emerge from your immersion. And I specifically remember this. We were sitting in a leadership team meeting, uh, the U.S. senior leadership team meeting, and we were visiting Atlanta. And we had... Um, and so it was kind of your area, Rossanne. And I remember we were talking about something and mainly the rest of the leadership team was talking. And then I jumped in with a comment and I said, I know I'm still in immersion. And whatever comment it was that I made in the situation we were talking about, Cliff said, you're no longer in immersion. Like he's like, you're in, you understand what's going on with the company. And he, as he said, it's like finding a way to actually watch this fast moving train in front of you and find a way to jump on effortlessly without having a breath and just, you know, seamlessly blending in. And so um, I think about that less listening and learning culture. A lot of it is the immersion. And, you know, when I joined, it was right after the time that, you know, the founder came back for the second time and you all had just gone through shutting down hundreds of locations across the U.S. And 
primarily across the US. And I think you were just getting back or had just gotten back from Europe. And I think the problem to solve was really all around how do we grow this business in a sustainable way where we're actually flowing money to the bottom line. And, you know, without getting in a whole lot of detail, I would say the biggest people problems to solve that we identified as a leadership team was how do you drive stability at that unit level? Because when you do have that stability is when you have the stability of the front line of the people serving the customers and creating that experience for the customers. And when you solve for that stability, I think the rest will follow. And it sounds super simple, but I think the problem was to, sol to solve was, all right, sustainable, profitable growth, um, solving for uh, uh, stability with people. And, you know, ultimately, and I know we could get into some details, but ultimately in the time that we worked together, it was driving about a billion dollars to the bottom line every year. It's pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I could pick up off that and say yeah. the same example um, of my experiences over the last five years and talking about business results. So doing this work around culture and listening and learning and creating new ways of working that that drive business results is core and essential to the culture work. So I, I know sometimes we get into this argument like, what is culture? It's this soft, mushy feeling thing. And it's yeah. actually not. It's actually a strategic differentiator for many, many brands. The culture of the brand drives performance. And in that first year that we started working with Barbara on culture and this notion of hope and this notion that hope um, drives different possibilities. When you put hope into action, you actually drive different possibilities. And those possibilities create opportunities for people to make better decisions and drive those business results. And I can, I'm very, very proud of the team and all 250,000 people that worked on this project, which is in that first year that we did this work, we drove the US comp number from low single digit to almost double digit in 12 short months. And we had some of the highest partner engagement scores that the company has ever had. And we drove customer loyalty because we were trying to provide this environment of stability, sustainable, profitable growth. And we are trying to create the culture, strengthen the culture, renovate the culture, invest in the culture where the partners that worked at Starbucks could come to work every day right. and be the very best they could be being honored and being valued and feeling like they belong in a place where they can be the best person they can be uniquely them. And that's exactly the work that we did with that stability and sustainable growth at the store level. But this was about creating a culture where people came to work every day and they knew that they were bringing their best selves to work. And that culture and that mindset in creating possibilities for people in their careers and in their lives. It's not just about coming to work. It's about living your life. That's right. Me, that's what's so exciting about culture and the work that we started doing and did incredible journey that we had together. But it just keeps playing on. And I can guarantee you that during those times of closing those 800 plus stores and the fear that crept in under the door. Um, you can imagine what going into COVID felt like for this team and closing all of our cafes and the fear of losing your life if you come to work. I mean, there was no one that had any answers back then. And if we didn't listen and learn, and if we didn't have a broad listening across the whole organization, this wasn't a group of people sitting in a room. It was like we were sitting at that table in Atlanta and we were sitting at that table listening and learning, but the broad network, like store managers, baristas, shareholders, people in different countries, I mean, the more listening that you do and the more opportunities you create for this system, it's a system of learning that you're creating. Um, it was an incredible and very humbling journey to be on, but very, very proud again of a culture that has been strengthened through the years even through COVID to accomplish the results that um, those 250,000 partners in the U.S. business was some of the most incredible, amazing leaders that I've ever worked with in my life. It's the same, it's, it's the same approach to sustainable growth. You just have to do it when you're in a pandemic. That's right. I think yeah. um, when I think about the definition of culture to pick back up, you talk about Franz Boa's uh, definition and it's that emotional life that's happening. You know, I think the difference between when you and I had the chance to work together and then later on, it's kind of like, all right, there was a level of control that I believe, you know, Starbucks had, you know, the decision when the founder came back was, hey, we need to reset. And part of coming back was, 
all right, how do you lead through this change in this reset that we are imposing on this company? And then fast forward, you're talking about exactly, you said this, in the middle of a pandemic, um, in, in really the third place, right, where the consumers actually spend time when they're not at home and when they're not in the office or their home office, whatever, and there was no playbook, right? We had no control over this. And so it's, it's so cool to hear about, all right, the evolution of how do you create culture? And it is through getting in touch with those emotions and putting a definition around what hope needs to look like and feel like for all of the partners that you've supported. Um, and I think the other piece too that I always love to say is that culture is a reflection of leadership. And when leaders take the time to actually listen and learn and um, create that opportunity for people to put their fingerprints all over it, because it is about, you know, it's not just I'm coming to my job, but I'm living my life. And part of living my life is actually being myself and bringing myself to help this, you know, other people out. And specifically, um, you know, I, I wasn't there, but from the outside looking in, it's kind of like, wow, how do you rally 250,000 people together? And I think there's also that kinship that happens too at the unit level, right? It's like, I don't want to let my family down. I'm going to call it family inside the store that I work. And so I think it's fascinating that you had the chance and I'm really curious, like what were some, you know, if you had advice for people who are on the call right now and they're going through this next iteration, right? I mean, it's not changing. We know that the pandemic is over and everyone's trying to figure out, all right, how do we create culture and how do we engage people and retain them so that they want to be part of this brand and this company that I work for today? You know, as, uh, as the mega leader that you were at Starbucks, you know, that listening and learning culture, what did that look and feel like? What specifically, you know, if you were to give people tips and tricks, like what are the one or two things they can start doing now to create that system of learning and listening? Yeah. Um, well, it sounds like it's a really daunting task to figure out what to do when nobody knows what to do, but it's actually, I, I might even say it was maybe the easiest part of figuring out how to create a learning culture is because we didn't know what was going on. So I, I, I don't want to take all the credit for really focusing and grounding ourselves in what, what are the truths of the current culture, what's working well, what's not working well. So what I would share, you know, the number one thing that I learn and I continue to learn, and I've been learning it my entire career, and I hope I'm going to learn it for the rest of my life, is listening takes effort and it takes space and you have to create and protect the time for people to share their stories, to have agency in their life, to feel like their voices matter somewhere else besides in their own store or in their own family. Um, you can teach people. Um, we, we spent, I don't know, maybe six months training different groups of people all over the company at all different levels of the company on what does listening actually mean? And when you listen, how do you take the learnings and change your behavior? Um, that is something that I think when you just said um, culture is about leadership for all of you people leaders out there, I would say that was the number one thing. And of course, you can't spend all your time listening and telling stories because you have to you have to drive business results. But if you spend enough time just to say, how do we teach people how to listen without having the answer? That's a really hard thing to do, especially when you get to my point in my career where I think I have a lot of answers and then I'm taught I really don't have that many answers. I'm still learning. But if you listen to learn and then that learning drives a different behavior or different ways of working together, and then you validate that and recognize that and celebrate that with your team, you will get different outcomes. And I, I would say the same thing as in your personal life, listening to your family, your loved ones, your friends, and really listening, not just saying, what do you think, but really taking in, um, you know, the input that they give, their perspective, their perspective which is different than yours. Um, and then the other thing I would say within culture, and then we did a lot of work is just this mindset that anything is possible and anything is possible when you create an environment that has hope and that hope creates the possibilities and that creates an, an environment for people to thrive at work every day, to thrive in their lives every day. And I think that's what's changed a lot over these last three years is um, giving people voice 
and a place to have their voice heard and valued is more difficult today than before. Um, providing agency to people where they have direction of their life, they have input over decisions that are going to be made about their careers and their life, I think is more important than ever. And we all have to create a space where people feel they have agency to live the best life they can. And that's a pretty daunting task right now. But if you did those two things, I think you'd make a good start because you're going to start learning exactly how to be the best leader you can be because that's the gift your people give you or your family, or your friends give you. It's, it's, um, I think it's an underused skill and it's certainly something I'm still working on. Yeah, I, I agree with you in that it is a learning journey for sure. And I know others are saying this in the comments. It takes a lot of practice to actually to learn how to listen. Yep, it does. And, and without, and what answer, what, what am I going to say back to you in, right. in what I'm listening? I, I know that in my last company, we had a similar experience. And I see a couple of leaders who I used to work with at my last company. And um, we, we had similar sessions right? Especially post when we're in COVID and then all the civil and social unrest was happening. We called them listen in sessions. And it took a lot to actually coach the leadership team to yeah. say, hey, we're going to facilitate this, these listen in sessions in that we're going to ask um, anyone who decides to pop in and we did them via WebEx, you know, Zoom. And it, it's actually asking them the question and all we're going to do is listen. We're not going to react to it. We're not going to give them an answer. What we will do, though, is after we hear all of this feedback, actually come back to the associates and say, here's what we heard and here's what we're doing about, you know, what your concern yeah. is or what yeah. we need to be doing differently. And it took a lot for leaders to actually have the patience to listen. And not only that, really process, right? So after the, the 45 minutes, 60 minutes where people were in there, not being quick to judge, but actually being thoughtful in what it is that they were hearing and really understanding it, right? It's like <laughs> not taking things at face value. And I know at many of these brands that we have worked with, you know, uh, the operators who I love and who are the people that I love partnering with are quick to action. And sometimes you have to actually remove that thought of action and go, what did I really understand from that? And what am I feeling? And I'm going to use the word that you said, and I love that definition of culture that you, you used, which is all around the emotional life. And um, I, I've been, this is kind of my latest nerdy thing that I've been so into, which is the role of the emotional laborer. It's such an old term from 1983. It's this person, Hawks child, who wrote a book called The Manage Heart. There's, all, there's a school around it at UPenn, and then even Harvard recently wrote an article about the emotional laborer and how coming back to the pandemic, as I was listening to you talk about, you know, how do people feel that sense of agency, feel that sense of control? And I think emotional labor is about, think about especially the partners that you supported. Um, and part of doing their job and serving the guest or serving the customer is actually to regulate their emotion. Probably not emoting when it's like, hey, welcome and make it feel like it's a welcoming place. I think that's great emotion to show. But in the stressful times when, um, you know, customers weren't feeling great and they might have taken that out, you know, on the front line, so to speak, it's the role of the emotional laborer and how do you actually take care of that? Right. Because now we've come through that. And I think for the front line, it's obvious to um, cultivate an environment where people can thrive. You know, it is about acknowledging not just the physical and, and mental wellness, but it's the emotional wellness. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'd love for you to actually say more about agency. I think I know what it means when you talk about people having agency. Um, but I'd love for you to define it, you know, what that looked like for and what it felt like to you as a leader when you saw that people felt like they had agency over themselves and their situation. Yeah, I mean, that that's the million dollar question, isn't it? How do you in a world that has this many hundreds of million people and in a company or a family or a community, how do you create almost a crucible? 
right? You hold this space where you make the time for people to have their voices heard, have their voices valued, um, validate their feelings, and then help people move through it. And I think you do that a lot through what you've already shared, which is leadership. Um, having leaders that can lead during these times are very different from, from just my personal perspective, very different than previous times. Um, creating the listening sessions and the listening system where feedback can be shared on a regular basis. And as you shared in your previous company, if you're going to listen in whatever avenue, whether it's social media or lifetime or over Zoom or in a store or at a meeting, whatever, if you're going to listen then where's the validation that your voice has been heard? And to me, that's what agency is, is my voice has been heard and somebody values what my opinion was and somebody is going to take my opinion or my, my experience into consideration as we have to make business decisions. Because at the end of the day, there were hundreds, if not thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of decisions that were made across the company during the pandemic that I'll never know what those decisions were. But by creating a space for people to share their how they're feeling about things, what their fears were, and then giving them the tools and resources to be able to act upon them so they weren't just stuck in paralyzed state, but they could actually see there were decisions that could be made or will be made or they could make where they could move forward through what their personal experience in that moment was. So it, I think it's harder today maybe than ever. And you know, you and I have shared in a number of our conversations, like the world of the service industry has been so radically disrupted that companies really focusing on training and developing and investing in their people and teaching them life skills about how do you, what is a mindset? What's mm -hmm. a growth mindset? How do I make decisions that create the best opportunity for me both at work and in my home life. And those are skills that you can teach. Um, and I think those are skills that we're all going back to and kind of looking at to say, how do you how do you help people um, live the very best life they can by providing an environment where they can come to work and be their very best self? What does that look like? And you you don't have to design it. Go ask your people. That's if right. Me, go ask your people, what does that look like? If you're at home, ask your kids or your family, your friends, like you don't have to have all the answers. And I think that's something else that's really hard. And I think you mentioned this, Marie says you guys did your listening sessions, which is sometimes as leaders, um, parents, family members, friends, you name it, we feel like we have to have all the answers. And I just, you know, that's one thing I fight all the time. You don't have to have all the answers. And so if you want to create this culture of agency, even for me and my own personal agency, slowing down to go fast. I know that's a saying that we say yeah. a lot, actually works. Slow down enough. Take a couple big deep breaths. Ask some really curious questions and you will know more about what to do next than you would ever figure out for yourself. So I think I think that's really important. And one of the things that you led when I remember working with you and we kind of got thrown into this, the job together on the same day. And we kind of looked at each other with these big eyes saying, okay, now what, now what are we going to do? But I know that you had a lot of passion about, um, you know, how do you make relationships through the organization and different levels? You want to talk a little bit about that? Cause I think that ties into your agency, which is when you, when you make time yeah. to do that, how do people see, feel seen and valued and heard. And I thought, I think you led a really great effort for the organization on that, that I'd love for you to share. Well, I think, I mean, I think I stole it from a leader <laughs> from that we both worked with. So yeah, chapter two or three of our journey together at, at that company, you and I, yeah, we were thrown on one day onto the same floor and here we were working together. And I think what I learned from that leader, which we brought to the rest of the organization is the expectation that it's part of being a leader and part of creating culture is really to understand your people two levels down. You know, I've carried this with me ever since then. But what I mean by that is it's to actually know all of your, the people that you directly support. So your direct reports, right? Um, not only do you understand who they are, their strengths, their development opportunities, their hopes, their dreams, their family. I mean, it's holistically understanding who that human being is that you're supporting at that first level, but then at that next level down. So think about that. 
And then at that next level down, that at that same pace, you as the leader understand who that individual is. It's not just knowing their name, but what their strengths, what their development opportunities are, hopes and dreams, you know, that they are striving for in life. And just the energy that creates when you see that. And at every level, everyone's doing that. The level of support and leadership. And you think about when you talk about culture and a, a culture of belonging and an emotional state that's created, you know, um, it is something that I know we began to transfer in different parts of the organization because I think that kind of culture was so alive and well in the Americas, right? Primarily North America, so US and Canada, and then with our partners in Mexico. And we were starting to do that with our partners down in South America. And then from a global standpoint, how do we bring that across? And then more specifically, how do we do that within the, <clears throat> the support center, right? So what, what is that? Um, and I think that was a really cool thing that I think also built this culture of belonging was because you had people around you where it's kind of like, wow, they get me and they've mm -hmm. got my back, right? So there's that. I think the second thing that you and I worked on together that it was really important to highlight during this time, and you've said these words already, is and you've described it already, is this whole notion of growth mindset. And um, in this time of yet another version of change that this company was going through, how do we keep that open mindset, right? That learning mindset, asking questions, being curious, not knowing what the answer is, and knowing that, hey, there's more, there, you know, what got me here may not get me there in terms of like the skills and experiences that I have today, you know, doing the same thing over and over, I know is a definition of insanity, but it could feel like insanity when leaders are kind of, when people are looking at you as a leader going, well, we tried that, we bumped our head against the wall, we're doing that again, what are we learning from it? And so I think um, there was that movement to create learning around what it means to have a growth mindset as it relates to problem solving, you know, in the company. And it, it's beautiful when I hear you talk about the culture and leadership, because it is about um, always having that not only open mind, but always asking the question and being comfortable with not knowing the answer. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think about like how that's applied in life where, um, you know, I work for another leader who was awesome. I mean, I think he didn't hold grudges when there were lots of good learning opportunities, right? Where we made big mistakes, right? Not just little ones where there was like, oh man, that we really made a big mistake. I'll just say that. I won't get into detail. And what I loved about that leader, and I know I've taken this forward as well, is, all right, let's not dwell and like hammer you. I mean, I'm going to give you the feedback, but yeah, ah, probably wasn't the best approach. That didn't land well, et cetera. The more important question is, what did we learn from it? And what are we going to do differently going forward so that this can be a better situation or we can improve the situation from where we're starting right now. And I think that's growth mindset in action when leaders can actually have grace for others. You know, I'm going back to reinforcing what I'm hearing you talk about. How do you really create that learning culture and give space for people to actually fail and learn, right? Fail quickly and learn, I guess. And then how do they then pick themselves up and move forward from that. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, I, I, I nerded on that a little bit. <clears throat> I, I, I'm wondering like your thoughts on, on growth mindset and what that meant to you when we were going through that. Yeah. So as I said earlier, um, I, you know, I, I can't take all the credit because we actually got thrown into um, the arena that nobody had any experience, no education, no training, no understanding. And we, we were all in fear state, especially as we entered into the pandemic, which is nobody had the answer. So in some ways, the pandemic for as horrific as it has been on so many people around the world and, and the tragedy that has brought us 
it did, it did provide an arena where we all had to kind of just get in it together and say, none of us knows the answers here. So it did give us a good playing field to practice off of, which is, I don't know what to do. I have no idea. I'm not a medical expert. I have no idea how you get COVID. I have no idea what's going to happen to the customers. Um, and so I, I think it was, it was a great learning environment that I'm, that I'm confident that the people that I've worked with, the leadership team that supported me, um, the leaders I worked with outside of just operations, but across the company, it, it would, there was a feeling of camaraderie and the fact that we were all in it together. And I think there's another word um, that I was thinking about, as you were just saying, is the vulnerability of a leader to acknowledge mm-hmm. that they don't have the answer um, and that they don't know what to do. We, we practiced a lot of that, which is here's what I, here's what the facts tell us. Here's what the results look like, because at the end of the day, we had to continue to drive business results because we had a company to run, right? How do you do that? And I, and I do think that notion of vulnerability and leadership, I think one of the strongest traits of a great leader is being vulnerable to say, I don't know, or I made a mistake, or I really messed that up, which I did a number of times and still do. Um, but you have to, you can't take yourself so seriously that when you m- make a mistake, it's a fatal wound. Some of them, you know, every decision you make has, has a consequence. And those consequences sometimes are not the consequences that we intended. But the good news is you can always change your mind to make a different decision. And I think giving people, again, the, the runway to say, if you, if you make a decision and, it's, and it didn't turn out the way you thought, I don't even like to say it's wrong. Yeah. You made a decision and it didn't turn out the way you thought, then what did you learn? And what's the next decision you want to make versus making it, you made the wrong decision. Now you're in the doghouse. Now you're going to be in trouble. Now there's going to be a punishment. And there are decisions that sometimes lead to those type of conversations, but there's not many. And so I, I think your point, which is if you create a culture where people can learn and make mistakes and take risks that's what a growth culture is. What are all the possibilities that we could think of right now? And let's make a decision and go take action on that decision and see what the outcome is, what the consequence of that is. And if it's the right one, let's celebrate it and keep going. And if not, let's change our mind and try something different. But I, I do think that takes a lot of work from a leader to make sure that you're creating an environment where people can take risk and can do things that nobody else thought that should be done um, with some framework you know, with some guidance and with some structure, but that's what unleashes the human potential. And again, we talk about possibilities, you know, hope creates, um, you know, hope and action. In action is an imperative word. In action creates possibilities and possibilities create the opportunity for people to create things they never even thought they could. And so I think that's a really important message, especially coming from the top, um, like you, that you shared, if that's, if that's part of a company's culture, um, anything's possible, I think. And it's exciting. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think you, when you use the word vulnerability, you know, I think of the word human. And uh, what I mean by that is, and I, this was my experience with you and, and working with you, is that you are a very real person. And I mean, duh, right? You're a human being and you're real. However, I think in very large companies, somehow there is this weird force field that happens where the leaders start to become robots. And there's this corporate speak that I know I've heard that terminology, corporate speak, where it's kind of like, wow, they've gotten really formal and there's a really formal way of leading. And I think um, in our experience together, it, it is about being human and actually talking like a, a, relating to people, meeting them where they're at, using common language instead of having the need to use huge words from a platform and, you know, speak formally. I think it's interesting. And with a a company like Starbucks, where it is about inspiring and nurturing, you know, there's still leaders who had to find their way to that. I'm going to use to their authentic selves. I know everyone has a different version of authenticity, but um, I, I love the the humility and the human being that you showed, you know, when we work together and even to the point, you know, you and I, we laugh about this today, but I I will tell you, there were like freaking hard days, man. I'm not even going to lie. Like there were days where I don't know what time was it? Seven, seven 30, who knows? We're sitting down the row from each other in our offices 
And the fact that I had um, another human being who I can, at the end of the day, just have a sounding board and kind of go, wow, am I nuts? Am I crazy? Like in that, I don't know why I'm feeling this way and where can I go to actually productively, you know, vent and, and share energy that I would prefer not to share, you know, and, and put not good energy into, into the vibe we were trying to create with the people that we supported. So anyway, I, I love that you said vulnerability, but the way I experienced you was, you know, you're real and you're human. And, um, and I know that that's why people followed you, Rossanne. That's why they looked up to you. And like, especially in the pandemic, from the outside looking in, because I was side by side with you at one point. That's yeah. why. It's like, you are a <clears throat> real person who gets that there are human beings that are coming together to do this. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. And I, and I, you know, we all have our leadership DNA and that's just part of who I am. So I, I, I don't know how to be anything different than that, but I know when you and I worked together, we talked a lot about that because my experience and my recollection during those times, um, and by the way, when Marisa said that it was seven or seven thirty, she meant PM. It was in the <laughs> evenings. It wasn't AM. Right. We were there long days, and it was that great opportunity to open the door, say, "Can do you want to just debrief today? How are you feeling? What happened? What was the craziest thing that happened? What was the best thing that happened?" And just having that place, and again, that that the emotional space that culture brings—that's part. That's culture is bringing your emotions to the room and the behaviors that come with them. Um, but I remember you and I both struggling and, and maybe I'm speaking for you and I shouldn't, but it was hard to try to be authentic when there was that much change going on, because sometimes change creates fear. And in, in the space of fear, you're worried about being your true self. You, you sometimes say things that are more careful than what you would really want to say, um, because you're on a big stage and we kind of got thrown onto that big stage together. And I remember you and I spending a lot of time behind closed doors saying, how do we bring our voice? How do we bring what we believe? How do we, how do we create um, a community of leaders that can band together and do this hard, heavy work? Cause those, those were some really challenging times for the company. Um, and it took great leaders like you who took the gamble and the risk to leave a big job as the number one and a company that you loved and a management team, a leadership team that you loved working for and with to take a leap of faith and then come and try to recreate that. And I just remember having those conversations about how are we going to keep it real and get done what we need to get done without making everybody else upset about it. So thank you for that partnership. And thanks for being that friend on seven, seven thirty nights, sometimes on the weekends, sometimes it was seven days a week. We never That's even right. knew. It. it was always great. Can you believe that this happened? I have no idea what I'm supposed to do with it. What do you think? Tell me what your thoughts are. What questions should I ask? And I do think that's part of the emotional bond that people have in very healthy cultures. And I know it's been on Gallup poll for many years. Like, do you have a best friend at work? But I do think that's still important and valuable to have yeah. someone that you trust like that, that we built that partnership and that relationship and that trust. Um, and that changed how we work together too. I mean, those emotional bonds make you feel more confident, more supported. Somebody's going to have your back, even if it's a bad day. Uh, but I think that's really important for leadership too. And in the lessons for all of us, when fear is in the room, how does that impact how people make decisions and how people lead others? Um, and especially in this new world where there's a lot of fear, yeah. um, there's a lot of societal issues that we're all dealing with that create fear and anger and all those deep, deep, deep personal, emotional feelings that we as leaders, no matter what industry you're in, um, and we as humans, even when it's not at work, we just have to work harder to make that space for people to show up and be themselves and um, and have someone that you trust that you can build that relationship with because, boy, that really made a difference for me back in those days. Yeah, I know it did for me too. And I think a gift that you gave me when I know we were working together on one team and then we got thrown into like another kind of leadership scenario. Um, I think people just didn't realize like, wow, is Marisa always that way? And that way was, you know, I'm smiling more than I'm not. Right. And I find joy in a lot of things, even when I'm stressed out. And um, they're just like, is that a real thing or is that just a front? And I think what people realized, mm-hmm. no, actually, I, I look at life in that way. That's how I lead. And it's not 
all fluff and stuff, right? And what I mean by that is there's actually data there that drives me to help make decisions um, and drives me to work with others, not just like I'm going to show up and be my happy self. Not that I was always happy all the time, but um, I, I think also how you show up, right, creates that space for others to have the agency to be open with you. And so I think I, I, I share that. And I think about there's another leader who's on here, part of a company that at the time the company acquired. Remember that? We acquired a few companies while we worked together. And I think that whole showing up as your authentic self and being open, I think, helped create that bond with the leadership team, with the companies that we acquired that, you know, it gave them space to also be themselves. Um, as part of this journey of joining a large company. Cause I can, I can believe that could be daunting too. Yeah. <clears throat> Those are all, as I said earlier, sometimes change, you know, many times, if not most times change evokes fear in people because they don't know what's coming and really paying attention to change and how fear kind of shows up. And as a leader managing through that, I think is really important. And there were some really great examples that we worked on. And I also did want to touch base on something that you just shared about yourself. Um, we all have an armor that we wear, which protects us from being hurt or disappointed or unloved or all those things that our little ego always tells mm -hmm. us that we're not good enough or whatever it might be. And sometimes people's armor, and I've worked with many of the most amazing leaders in my life, some, sometimes people's armor gets misinterpreted. And that armor is a very human part of living in this world. And so I, I applaud you for sharing. Um, and we shared a couple stories the other day about how people perceived and, and perceived me as you're this type of person without mm -hmm. making the effort to actually get to know what's driving that armor, that self-protection um, that we all grew up with as children and teenagers. And that's part of who we will be forever. But I love that you're that vulnerable to talk about the armor that you carry around of being positive and being uplifted and being outgoing, um, because that is who you are. I've seen you in the best of times and the worst of times and the most challenging of times. We've cried, we've laughed, we've had a glass of wine together, well, you name it, but you are the real deal. And if people, if people just don't judge a book by its cover, it's one of my core values in life because you never know what's going on in that person's life. You never know um, what they're carrying. And if you just make a moment to say, who are you? And let's have a conversation. You're going you're gonna to receive some of the best gifts and lessons in your life by just being present for others. And I valued that very much about our partnership and our friendship, which is sometimes you got to, you got to make the tough calls and you got to drive and you, you can't worry about what everybody thinks, but not all the time. You can slow down enough just to check in on people and, and make sure you really get to know who they are as a person, because that's where life is right there. I totally agree with you. I think kindness, you know, kindness to me is about treat people the way they want to be treated, not the way you want to be treated because they, they likely have a different story than you assume. And I love that idea of, you know, meeting people. I do this all the time. Like, Hey, what's your story, right? Yeah. Like, who are you? And how, how are you? Why are you and like really getting into conversations in that way? Um, and I hear you too. I mean, uh, <clears throat> you've said this a few times now, the whole notion of when a lot of change happens, people start acting out of fear, right? It's kind of, there's this fear in the environment and then they start, behaving in ways that aren't true to who they are, right? And I think about, I was just reminded of that. Um, and I shared the story. I don't think it was with you, but um, someone who on, on my way out, and I know I left and I went to go join another company, I, I got like years later. So towards the end of COVID, I get this note, you know, this email that said, hey, I've been thinking about you. I know you haven't heard from me since you left, right? And um it was a crazy time back then. And I just really apologize for how I acted on your way out. Right. So I get this note and I think it could be easy for someone to go, well, you were kind of a jerk on my way out. Right. Instead, <laughs> I kind of went, Hey, look, I appreciate, appreciate the note. You know, it, especially in times like that. And I get, we were all under um, a lot of pressure and, kind of the self-induced stress as well 
that we start behaving in ways that aren't who, true to who we are. And, you know, this is who I knew, know you to be. And I appreciate you like reaching out and sending this note. And so uh, to your point, it just reminded me of like, um, don't forget too, like environments where people are acting out of fear. And it's kind of like, well, that's not consistent with how I experience you that, you know, it's not about you. It is about how do you support that Hmm. right at the end of the day? And so. Yeah. It goes back to that definition of culture, which is culture is the community of emotional life. That's right. In our everyday behaviors. I mean, that's all these are examples of you may be talking about emotions, but it's actually life and it's actually drives business. It drives happiness. It drives joy. It drives everything else. Um, But emotional life is part of who we are as human beings. And um, I I think it's critically important to spend the appropriate amount of time um, because we all still have to have a life and run businesses and drive results and have fun making money and all the things that we love to do as business leaders. Um, um, but, you know, slowing down, like we said earlier, slowing down to go faster later is really important. And I just, you know, I, I know we're um, reaching the time, but Marisa, I, I wanted to make sure to say I'm very grateful for you in my life. I'm grateful that you invited me to be part of this. I was a little bit anxious over it because I don't, um, I'm, I, I just don't feel like an expert. I just feel like another leader, another human. And I, I value everything you've shared with me and taught me the invitation. And I loved all the comments in the comments. So for those of you that spoke up, it's great to see some familiar names and faces, but I just wanted to say, I'm grateful for you and grateful for the opportunity. And I'm grateful for this community of people that are now, you know, let's talk about culture every week. Let's talk about what's important in different people's perspective and let's continue on this learning journey. So before we had to drop off, I, I wanted to say a big thank you to oh you my for, goodness. for inviting me and hosting me and, and creating this dialogue for all of us to continue learning. Well, I, I feel like I want to just say ditto to you. I thank God I'm wearing glasses because there might be a little bit of sweat in my eye ducts right now. Um, I, I think this was such an opportunity to really celebrate the badass leader that you are. I just need to say that. Um, I knew that from the second that I met you. And am I allowed to say that I am so proud of you? And um, just seeing your journey and what you led through, like even more badass. I'm like, wow, you know, I'm like, I feel like I need to be working with you again to let that rub off on you. It's freaking crazy. You know what I mean? So um, I I just want to celebrate the fact that uh, it is such a privilege to actually not only call you a friend and a mentor, but to have you in my life. I mean, I've learned so much and you've, you know, you and Jackie have become such a part of our life too. And um, and it is like you are one of those friends and mentors who it doesn't matter how long it's been a week, a year in between, we pick right back up. And I appreciate you as well being part of this movement around talking about culture and helping other people and companies lead this movement, you know, for themselves with others and their companies. Yeah, yeah I appreciate right you doing that. Right there with you. Well, um, we're at the top of the hour. Thank you so much to everyone who, I mean, I see this family and alum that we've worked with across multiple brands. It's so good to see you. I even see that Frank all the way from Amsterdam. I mean, he's kicking it. I think he might be like one of the a few international folks on here who made sure to stay up during this time frame. So thank you everyone for joining. I see Canada there too. Sarah, amazing. Um, and Barbara, again, Jason, a beloved. Anyway, like all these great people, Deja, I see all of you, DeAndre, amazing. Now I feel like I will close this with, thank you all. We will see you hopefully next week at our next live culture cast with Alyssa Cohen, who is the author of um, From Startup to Grown Up and is a world-renowned executive coach. So I'm hoping we can get some good coaching next week as well. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much, Ross Ann. Thank you. you. Nice to see everyone. Thanks for being part of the conversation today. Bye, everyone. Thank you.